We see it as dark times of when a nation's lawmakers are trying to make it a felony, prison time for parents for not embracing and identifying what their children wanted to transgender or change their identity. We are in a war, my friend. We in America are in one of the darkest times of our lives. As a nation, we have faced many things and overcome them, but we're on a different playing field than we've ever been before. I want you to know that. When a professional sports team plays a game at the other team's home field, they're called what they call the visiting team. I've been on those fields before, and so have you, those of you that have played sports. As the visiting team, they go into battle in the enemy's territory. Not only do they have the opposing team against them, but they also have the crowd against them as well, and that's not a fun place to be in. Christians are now what I call the visiting team even here in our own culture. They, there existed a time in our nation's history where a Christian worldview informed the culture and held us to a standard. We had what we called home field advantage. There was a time when our culture, culture held to a certain moral compass. It called evil, evil, and good, good. And even though our culture had flaws and there were segments of our citizens of our society that wanted to embrace evil as good and bad as right. But today it has shifted and taken our culture to a whole new level to where now it's not only calling evil good, but it's calling the good of the nation evil. Now that we're on a different playing field than we've ever been. And that which upholded us as a nation and kept us under a moral compass and kept us adrift is now being called evil by our culture. Can I have an amen? We no longer have that Judeo-Christian framework as a reference point for us as citizens to appeal to in order to call the culture back into the proper way of operating. Our nation has lost its way. It has lost its moral compass. It has lost its worldview of its Judeo-Christian values and as a result, normacy has gone out the window. And matter of fact, according to Bonner Institute, that literally only 9% of Christians hold to a biblical worldview now. And what used to be normal is no longer normal, and what once was called abnormal is called normal. And as a result, we have now become akin to the visiting team in our own nation. We as Christians are now the outsiders looking in. Can I have an amen? And due to the shifting of our culture, the Christian world has lost its influence, and the culture views us as believers as being irrelevant to today's beliefs and today's practices. So now we're being booed, we're being marginalized, we're criticized, we're insulted, we're rejected, and more than often than not, we're simply ignored by this culture and viewed as not important. We have lost our home field advantage in the game, and the majority of the crowd in this culture is against us, and they're no longer for us. Some say, well, that's shifting to the good in the right direction. We see things changing, and we pray that, that they're correct. But when, the, when they really analyze America, they say, no, it's not really shifting in the good way because the, the, it's true that it's shifting in certain areas. But the major cities of America are remaining corrupt and dark. And there is great strongholds of the liberals have made a great strongholds in areas that's almost unpenetrable 
and unbreakable. We no longer have the bystander support and the cheerleading squad on our side. Cheering is gone out the window. In other words, folks, the reason that sometimes, years ago, when a preacher would get up and preach, liberty would just come down. Anointing would come down and it would drip. And now, preachers getting up and when they preach truth, there's an anointing there, but there's a war. There's a struggle. There's a fight. The freedom is being bucked. There is something in the houses of God across America to where it's robbing the sweetness of the unity of the Spirit to flow over the people. And it is a culture that's integrated with inside of the church and it's bucking the system. It's trying to hold us back. It's called principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this present world. Oh God, help me preach. So I stand here today. I don't care whether it's easy for me to preach. I love it when it drips. I love it when the Holy Spirit just flows over a congregation. But whether it is easy or whether it is hard, I'm gonna stand here toe to toe. I'm gonna look the enemy in the eye. I'm gonna look at the culture in the eye and I'm going to declare, this saith the word of the Lord. Ah, you can beat that. Give the Lord praise in this house. As a result, we have lost our voice as a church, and as a result, the nation is buying in on the voices of our opponent due to them following the majority, they think. Big tech, big businesses, and the corporate world has bought into the woke mentality due to them being afraid of losing business. And you know why they're doing it? Not because they're the majority. We'll get into that a little bit later. It's because they're unified and we're not. Amen. They, they know that we can ignore them. We're going to still support them. So they're afraid of losing business, so they buy into the woke mentality. And while they chase and embrace the deceptive culture, they fail to recognize that that culture will also turn on them and that which is birthed in darkness will always kill, steal, and destroy. Evil will never cause prosperity. It will only cause chaos. You can buy in it for a while. It'll lie to you, but it'll come back and it'll slit your throat. Can I have an amen? I'm trying to preach a good message here today. I don't know how far I'm gonna get. But the enemy has unified themselves while the church world has become fragmented and scattered as a, because of religion. We no longer have the ability to a, apply peer pressure by public opinion, persuading and pleading our cause and causing change within the community because now instead of there being more of us than them, there's more, than them, there's more of them than us and as a result, we're tallying, tallying up more losses than win as a church. Christianity is on a decline in America. We can face it, say, we, we can get all mad when President Obama got up and said the, that the United States is no longer a Christian nation. All the Christians just got furiously mad. But he spoke a little bit of element of truth. 37,000 churches closed in America this year so far alone. 40 church attendance is down 47% across the board in every denomination. America has let down its hedge and the evil spirits, practices, idolatry and beliefs that has, been brought, that has brought down third world countries is now being seen in America. Spirits, demonics, territorial demons that once was held at bay and was never seen in America is now being manifested all over this land. 
border control agents, newscasters, is seeing things that they have never seen before. And they're literally saying, they said it on Fox the other day, and they showed an example of what was going on at the border, and there's a woman that was crazy. Her eyes were around, foaming her mouth. And literally the, the newscaster said, this is not normal, this is demonic. There's another man that was carrying a human head that he had cut off, just murdered down the streets of one of our cities and he was murmuring and he was rolling his eyes and they looked at that and said, what has gone wrong with America? We're seeing it happen right here in the good old US of A. Every day, illegal immigrants by the thousands pour into this country and with them, their gods, their belief systems and their culture. Instead of making them pledge to love and commit and embrace our culture and become Americans, they now live here as they did in their native country and they change the course of America by bringing their cultural beliefs and practices with them. What we must understand is that even when there is opposite, opposition against us and the crowd is booing us, we are still called to outperform our opponent. We are still called through, through, to win through positive preaching and influence a world that needs it so desperately. We are called to represent the ruler, the true God of America. His name is Jesus Christ. I said his name is Jesus Christ. And we are to proclaim his kingdom rule over us. We are to still decree and declare that his will in heaven will be done upon this earth. We're not to cave in and compromise to this culture, but we are to be a counterculture that invades and permeates the atmosphere to where we gain our influence and our voice back. We are to fill the land with the sweet Holy Spirit aroma and the sweet anointing of the Holy Spirit because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and the power of sin. And we're to bring light into darkness so that the area can be illuminated with the presence of God so that people can be become aware once again who God is. What we have today in our nation is the present of destructive ideologies. We have secularism, humanism, deism, agnosticism, and all these other isms and isms. There's many of them. It's for all kinds of idolatry. And they've invaded our culture and our world, and they've entered into our homes and into our children. And yet we have to keep in mind that God has not called his people to sit on the sidelines in this battle. Can I have an Amen. He has called each of us to step up and get into the game. Amen. Now this goes far deeper than why, it goes far deeper and way beyond supporting a certain candidate or a certain group of candidates or a political party. That's important. It's important we vote for the right people. It is. This has to do with the role of Christians functioning as kingdom disciples in the culture. Kingdom politics involves so much more than voting. It's a way of life, folks. No matter how you vote or have voted, God is calling you to live as a kingdom follower. And I will make a statement here, and you might get mad at me and think I'm pushing one side or the other, but I'm just preaching fact. God is not, if God, if you are following Jesus Christ and you are a true follower of him, you'll vote right. You're not gonna vote for someone who believes in abortion. You're not gonna vote for someone who believes uh, castrate the little boys and change their gender. Come on, somebody. You're not going to vote for somebody that's, that is out to destroy your children. Can I have an amen? Ah, I'm trying to get off here. I'm like a big old chasing a rabbit right now, but I'm wanting to chase a deer. Oh, hello, my son of Bahia. 
If you'll be a follower of Jesus, you'll vote right. Amen? God is calling all of us to something more than being happy or sad about a certain situation or who or what candidate won or who caught candidate lost. He's calling all of us to kingdom living and influence. That you're influential, I am influential. Come on. If one can put a 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, what can the Palace of Praise do with a 1,000 members? Come on, somebody. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. I'm not going to bow to this culture and be a victim. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be victorious right in the middle of the chaotic hell itself. I'm going to stand up and declare Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Lord, have mercy. I ain't preached for three weeks. You gotta, you just gotta, you gotta tolerate it today. Hallelujah. I love the way Philippians 3 and 20 describes us and our citizenship. For our conversation is in heaven from which also we look to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he goes on and says, and our citizenship is in heaven. I like that. And the context of this scripture, it comes from Paul writing to the Philippians, encouraging them to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, church, press to get into the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He encourages us to be spiritually minded and to be aware of the enemies of the cross and the enemies of Christ. Know who they are. We're afraid to look at them, but I want to tell you something, folks. There are true, whole uh, whole political realms that is nothing more than demonic. They're enemies of the cross and they're enemies of Christ. I'm not afraid to say, say it. Can I have an amen? And we are to spot those that are mind earthly things and mark them. Say, we know them. We identify them. We know who they are. They know what they're up against. We're to separate ourselves and not compromise and hear or conform to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are just pilgrims and strangers. We're just passing through this old land. If we are to survive as a nation, we have to understand this key truth. If we're to live in a, as kingdom citizens in a kingdom culture, then we have to understand that can, we cannot live in both worlds. God is calling his church out of darkness into marvelous light. We cannot straddle the fence. We cannot love two masters at the same time. We gotta choose this day whom we're gonna serve. The line has been drawn in the sand and we gotta make a decision of who we're gonna serve and who we're gonna stand up for. Amen. Living out the principles of kingdom politics is rooted in the recognition of where our true allegiance of citizenship is going to be. The question is, are we kingdom people or are we earthly subjects? Are we spiritual or are we carnal? Which kingdom do we pledge allegiance to? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? This is why that Peter calls us aliens and strangers. We're weird people. We're not a part of the culture. We don't hold to the values of the culture. We don't sympathize with the culture. We don't lay in bed with the culture. Come on, somebody. Our primary citizenship is not to be of this earth. Yes, we're residents here, 
But even so, our allegiance is to another king and to another kingdom. Our allegiance is to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's to the, when you were born again, you were born into the kingdom of God. That's your first allegiance. I wish I could preach on all the points. Man, I, I'm just wanting to go everywhere this morning. How do we do this with a world that is on fire? How do we do it? We're living in perilous times and evil is rampant. God is on trial in our culture more now than ever, any other time in the history of our nation. His character, his justice, his grace, his love is on trial by the culture of this world. Come on, I'll get to my text in a minute, maybe. His truth is on trial, claiming there is no absolutes. You know, truth is relative. Whatever you think truth is, that's the way it is. What a lie from the enemy. The question is, how can we win when the culture as a whole stands against us? How are we gonna win? How can we take over and invade a culture with the gospel when they don't want to adhere to the gospel? When they ignore the gospel? Come on. We find Job stacked against great obstacles in the word of God and it was due to a hedge being let down. Notice. In other words, Job found himself where America's at right now. He found himself on the enemy's playing field. Things changed drastically in Job's life just like that. We see that Satan's biggest complaint about Job was found in Job 1 and 10. Has thou not made a hedge about Job and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? Here's Satan complaining to God, I can't even touch your servant Job or his household because you put a hedge around him and you blessed him beyond measure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I'll take that blessing. Come on, somebody. Satan's upset. He said, man, this guy has been just overwhelmingly blessed by you, protected by you. And then Satan says, but if you lift that hedge off of him, let me touch him then Job, you know what he'll do? He'll curse you to your face, God. He accuses Job. Here's the accuser. Isn't that what the enemy does, the devil? He's an accuser. He accuses Job of only loving God for his benefits and not for who he is. He says, you take away the blessing, see how Job reacts. He says, Job will curse you, God, to your face. God takes down the hedge because he believes in Job. And he allows Satan to touch him for a season, the Bible says. And the only thing that God would not let Satan do is to kill him. I looked up, I read every commentary I could find. I tried to find out how long Job's suffering was, and we don't know. I couldn't find it anywhere. I've heard people put numbers to it, but I couldn't find it. The problem with America is that America herself has let down her hedge. It has not been that God has taken it away. We have dropped it ourselves by our lifestyles, by our actions, by our beliefs. Come on. And Ecclesiastes 10 and 8 says, he that diggeth a ditch will fall into it, and he that lets down a hedge, the serpent's gonna bite him. We have let down the hedge, and the serpent has bit America. And if we're not happy with what's going on in our culture, then it's not God to be the one, to be, the one to be accused or blamed. It's us. What we are facing in our culture today is our fault, not God's. Let's settle it. God has not failed his people. 
and he will never fail us. Job lived in the land of us probably around the same time as Abraham and Jacob. Somewhere around 2000 BC. Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. So we see he, he faces the same old ancient foe that you and I still face today, the devil. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may be devour. John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and give it to you more. But the enemy's the same old ancient foe. He's out doing the same old thing. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to kill America. We see that Job was a righteous man, one who feared God and shewed evil according to the scripture. God said that about him himself. Wouldn't you like to God to look down and say, hey, Bill, you're a righteous man. You're a guy that fears God and shews evil. You're upright in heart. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you? That's what God said about old Job. He was a family man who had seven sons and three daughters. Oh, Lord, God forbid that. But he was a wealthy man. He had a thriving business. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. Had a large number of servants. Job's life was good. Life was easy. Life was prosperous. He was a very influential man. And matter of fact, he was known and regarded as the greatest man in the East. Matter of fact, some even thought or considered him as a king. He was not a king that I'm aware of. But a lot of people had thought that maybe he was even a king. Job was a spiritual man who worshiped God faithfully, sacrificing burnt offerings all the time. Job's life was just like he wanted. But suddenly, his life changed overnight. His way of life unraveled before his eyes due to simply a hedge being removed. We've had a great hedge being removed in our family. It's Dorothy Goodrich, my mother-in-law, a praying woman, an intercessor, a supplicator, who prayed blessings over our family every day, who prayed for the protection, the wall of protection, who was constantly interceding for her daughters and her son and her son-in-laws. Thank God for that. And as a result of that woman's warfare, she created hedges of protection around us. But that hedge protector has been removed. And God spoke to me, and I've only told this to one or two people. When she died, he said, you better, you better uh, sharpen up your game a little bit, and you better begin to pray more than you've ever prayed because you're going to have to do some praying because, and, and take the place of some of what that woman done. Come on, somebody. My children are blessed because of a grandmother that put hedges of protection around them. Amen? But Job's life changed just like that. And when you compare it, Job's life represented the early life of America. America was the most blessed nation on the face of this earth. You not realize that? I'm trying to compare and I'll show you why in just a moment. America is one of the wealthiest, most powerful, influential nations in the world. We lead by influence. We're leader. But just that in the last 21 months has crumbled just like that. Life in America has been good all the way up to the 1980s. There was a church on every street corner. At one given time, when I done a survey here, bought and they get a topical graphical survey where you pay and they'll tell you everything about Popper Bluff. One of the things there was a in 1980 when we done that, there was a church on every street corner. There was 90 some Baptist churches and within a five mile radius of Popper Bluff, just Baptist. Praise God for that. America has been the richest, the freest, the most blessed nations on planet Earth. 
America has been blessed and highly favored of God just like that of Job. But just as Job's life began to unravel overnight, we also are seeing our nation become a part at the seams. Are you aware? We're watching it. It's unfolding. Job's fortune changed overnight. A raiding band of mercenaries stole his livestock, killed his workers. Even so, all of a sudden, we are seeing the fortunes of America change and dry up overnight. Foreign entities stealing American jobs and manufacturing moving overseas and businesses moving overseas. 401Ks has lost 35% of its value just in a few short months. Our retirees are sweating it. Foreign immigrants flooding in and our government giving them billions upon billions of borrowed money that we do not have raising in our national debt. Free health care, free living conditions, free eye care, free dental, free transportation, and on and on and on and on. While our veterans and our, citizens, our senior citizens and our young families cannot even hardly survive. Then this, the national debt of America is $26 trillion. And we have spent more money in the last four years than in all the other presidents has ever spent together. We've increased the national debt by $4 trillion in 21 months, less than two years. Our current inflation rate is at 8.3%, one of the highest in the history of our nation. The inflation rate does not include gas, food, and clothing, which are the everyday things that affect us the most. I thought, put them in there, guys. Quit giving us a false report. How do I know that? Go get a gallon of gas. It's over 60% higher than what it was four years ago. Go get a carton of eggs. Used to be 89 cents, 79 cents. Now they're over three bucks. That chicken's got valuable. She's laying golden eggs. Come on, somebody. Jenny told me to pick up a few items. I thought, well, okay. I went and picked up a few items and come home some time ago. Uh, don't ever ask me to do that again. That's depressing. What I thought would be 13 bucks, it was $84. Folks, this is serious. Job also experienced the death of his children by a national disaster. Our children are being slaughtered. If they're not aborted, they're targeted. And they're taking their identities away and they're mutilating them and they're doing it without parents' permission behind the scenes. Young 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds. Folks, it's nothing more than child sacrifice to an idol God that has crept into America. Man, I could go back to, and I could give you the names of the gods. A hurricane struck his oldest son's house where his children had gathered for a party, them being cut off, and all of his 10 children were killed. And while America is partying and not paying attention, we too are dying as a nation. We're partying like nothing's going on. That'll fix itself. Oh, well, we'll be dead. <laughs> the younger generation don't understand what we understand as older people. When it comes to national disasters, like what happened with this, a hurricane hit the house, We've had wildfires, storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, floods, on and on like never before. More is taking place in our nation than in the history of our nation. 
It's costing American billions and billions of dollars and that is not even figured into the national debt as of yet nor the inflation numbers because they are happening so rapidly they don't even have time to factor those numbers into those, into those equations. Job himself broke out with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. Even so, America has faced COVID-19, shutting down the whole nation. We are seeing an overwhelming flood of afflictions diseases and viruses that sits our, na our nation in record numbers. One of the things that we are battling in this church is afflictions. Us, us as, a, as, a, as a staff is running ragged, trying to pray for everybody that we know. The things that's going on is not normal. Can I have an amen, folks? It's, it's unbelievable. The respiratory problems, the heart problems, the lung problems. Come on, it goes on and on and on and on. Floods of it. Even in young people, cancer is rampant. And matter of fact, there are young people and healthy people that are dying for no reason at all all across America. Just this week alone, I was reading and there was a 42-year-old. There was a 19-year-old athlete. There was a 26-year-old boy that was in perfect health. And it just went on and on and on. And said, for they don't even know why. They just fell over dead. What's going on? What, what's, what's taking place? Job's wife falls into depression and bitterness. She confronts her husband with a soul-searching question. Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Are you still naive, Job, to believe in God and his goodness? And then she just says this. Why don't you just curse God and die? Give up, quit. That's the voice to the church today. Why keep on keeping on? Nothing's going in your direction. Nothing's changing. Nothing's shifting. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've done and you've done and you. Where is your God? Why ain't He showed up? Come on, I'm preaching where we're living. Huh. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost right now. This is what we're dealing with. This is relevant stuff. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just curse God and die? This stuff is nothing but a fantasy world. During Job's time, God's justice was put on trial by his wife. If God is so good, then why is all this happening? If God is real, then why don't he show up? Even as God's justice was on trial in Job's time, even so it is in America as well. People are asking how can we say God is good when we see war and terrorism and poverty and starvation and dictatorship and persecution and racism? Folks, you gotta be blinded if you don't see that stuff. It's there. How can we say God is a healer when all the afflictions, diseases, and death and misery that we see not only upon the world but even upon God's people? Due to these turbulent times, biblical truth isn't just ignored, but it's under attack it's not being embraced by this culture. Due to the changing times in America, so many people have become angry and frightened and confused and depressed, even the body of Christ. Like Job's wife, we're facing obstacles that came upon her husband and her family. She fell into depression and she fell into bitterness. And if we're not careful, the same thing that happened to Job's wife will happen to us when we fall under those heavy manifold temptations and trials that Peter talked about and James talked about. This nation hasn't been as divided and filled with such anger and fear since the Civil War. 
The problem of it all is, is this. Now, this is where we got to really get to. This is hard. This is what we're being tested. Look at me. Body of Christ, you're being tested. As Job was tested. The problem of it is we have to stick to our principles. We have to stick to our standards, our doctrines, our beliefs, our Christian heritage. Even in the face of such obstacle, even in the face of family embracing the opposite culture. This is the biggest thing that's going on. I hear it all the time as a pastor. Not only in this church, but all kinds of people where the kid come home. Mom gives them an evil report. I'm this, I'm that, or the dad walk in and walk away from the family because he got caught up in some kind of a cultural thing and he left his family and divorced. It's happening all over the place. Happened in the body of Christ. It was Jesus that said in Matthew 10, 21, 22 about the last days. You know what's gonna happen? Brother's gonna turn against brother and he said, father's gonna turn against the child. The children are gonna raise up against the parents. Even the, even the family members are gonna cause one to be put to death. He says, but... You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures, he that endures, say endures, to the end shall be saved. Before many of us are compromising and relating to the culture because of a loved one that has embraced that which is unlawful. Come on, God says do not do this, and they do it, and because it's their loved one, they want to somehow sympathize or relate to it. So, even though they don't agree with it, they embrace the culture because they don't want to lose their children or they don't want to lose their mother, they don't want to lose their father, whoever it may be. And this is how the culture has shifted in making there be more of them than us. It isn't that there's more of them that believe in the way the culture is going. That's still a minority, really, and not a majority. But it's due to the believer not standing up for what they believe and they cave in, embrace the culture due to keeping peace with the loved one. It's one thing for me to get up here and preach against homosexuality or drunkenness or whatever, and I don't have any family members that's drunkards, and I don't have any family members that's homosexuality. It's easy for me to do that. But many of you are suffering on the pew because you've got loved ones that's caught up in that. Yes, you are to love them. We're going to love them. Absolutely. But we're not going to sympathize and say we relate. We're going to oppose it and declare to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to. Matthew 10, 37 and 38 says, he that loveth his father more uh, than me, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not up his cross and follow after me, he can't, he's not worthy and neither can he be my disciple. In other words, I can't cave into a culture because I'm afraid of offending a loved one. Because if I relate or sympathize with the culture, I offend God. It's getting heavy in here. This is where we're living. This is what we're up against. That's hard. There ain't no one that you love more than your family. Matthew 10, 34, 35. Think not that I've come to send peace on the earth, Jesus said. I came not to send peace, but a sword. We know what the sword is. God sent his word, the sword of the spirit. You know what it does? It convicts, it separates, it divides. A sword hurts. God said, I've sent you with a sword. Be truthful. For I've come to set man at variance against his father and the daughter against his mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be the one of his own household. In other words, listen to the way he said, Jesus said in the last days, it will be your very own loved ones that will turn against you and reject you and become your enemy. 
I got to stop right there. And this is the real test of our discipleship. It's one thing for an enemy to come against you. It's even harder when a friend comes against you like Job's friends. That was hard, the betrayal of a friend. But it's another thing when it's your family that betrays you. When it's your family that stands up and say, well, I don't believe in your values anymore. And if you're going to get along with me, you're going to have to set what I do. And you're going to have to embrace it. If not, you'll never see me again. What are you going to do? And yet Jesus said in Mark 8 and 38, for whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Notice when these things really happen that it's laid out in Scripture. These are prophetic words of what's going to happen at the end time. They're end time Scriptures. And notice when they happen. It's in the last portion of the last days these things happen. They're happening right now. Where are we? We're in the last of the last days. They are the last thing that happens before Jesus Christ comes back. This is where America's at right now. Those of you, you got just a short time to hang on because Jesus is fixing to split the eastern sky. Listen to Matthew 10, 23. He goes on the next verse and says, but when they persecute you in the city and you flee into another, for verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel. You're not gonna make it through all the cities of Israel till the Son of Man comes. Woo! Did you hear what Jesus just said? When they set out and start persecuting you, and that's where the Christian's at right now. Our government's persecuting against us. They hate us. Come on. It was Jones, and he said, if you go through all the city, if you're in one city of Israel and they attack and you go to another, there's only, ten, uh, there's only uh, 17 major cities in Israel that's got over 100,000 people. The rest of the cities, little bitty towns and villages are 67. He said, by the time you try to go through all of Israel, running from city to city, you'll never make it through all of them before the Lord comes back again. That's how close we are. It was Job's own wife that brought the war against God. She was the one that brought the accusations. She was the accuser. And the very lady that was one with Job is now divided against him due to the uncomfortable conditions and the present day suffering she was experiencing. Fight began to break out in the home for the first time. Job's own wife, his own family member, was the one that brought the dissension into the family unit. Even so, it isn't as much of an outside entity or nation that is a, the opposing factor of our time in America as the citizens of our own country. We're divided. It was Marx that said America will fall from within without one shot being fired. America will be destroyed without a shot ever being fired. He said, they'll destroy themselves. It's odd that while Job's family was so blessed, his wife wasn't at war with God, but the minute her world fell apart, somehow it all became God's fault, it became Job's fault, and it became Job's belief system's fault. Our belief system as Christians is now being called evil. It is called white nationalist religion. Have you caught that? 
When a nation is called into judgment like ours is now, it's, it's now the church's fault and the Christian's fault of what's going on. It isn't that human, isn't that human nature. Anytime someone faces difficulty due to the consequences of their own decision, it always becomes someone else's fault of why they're in the place that they're in. And usually they will blame the ones closest to them and the ones that they love the most. It's mom's fault, it's dad's fault, it's brother's fault, it's sister's fault. Oh, it's the church's fault, oh, it's the pastor's fault. It's always somebody's fault. Like the little boy that come home with the F on his report card and his mom said, well, Johnny, what's wrong? It's the teacher's fault. Amen? I said that to my dad one time and he busted my hind in. He didn't fall for it. He didn't fall for the culture of the day. Job's wife wasn't only putting God on trial, but she was throwing her own husband under the bus and she was blaming him for everything that took place. Why don't you care? Why don't you just about us. Why don't you just curse God? Cave in with us. Give up, Job. In other words, get out of the way for the rest of our sake. That's what they want to do. Get us out of the way. It's your belief system that's causing all this problem, Job. It's your, you're the one to be blamed. This is exactly how the culture of America views the church. To them, we're nothing but a bunch of self-righteous, egotistical, judgmental, racist hate groups in America because we hold to a standard that opposes their lifestyle and our light convicts them of their darkness. This is a very dangerous place to be in because that's nothing more than folks blaspheme against God. You know how you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost? When the Holy Ghost moves or does something and says, that's evil, that's of the devil. And you know what they're saying that the church is? They say you're of the devil. They're blaspheming the very presence of God in our lives. God help us. How do we minister to a culture that's gone that is at odds with us? How do we do it? How can we become a beacon of hope in a chaotic culture that's hostile towards the things of the spirit with prevailing circumstances and overwhelming obstacles and dilemmas? How can we convince people that God is good? How? First of all, we do not compromise. Nothing is ever changed by compromising the truth of God's word. Never compromise truth. It is the truth that sets people free. We do not change our message. We cannot. It's their only hope. Know the truth and the truth will make you free. I'm gonna have to just get into the Lord have mercy on me. We always talk about how that Job was a righteous man, one that feared God, one that sheweth evil. And with everything that went on in Job's mouth, he sinned not, neither did he open his mouth and charge God foolishly. He showed faith. He even stood up and said, you know, though the skin worms score this mortal body, yet in my flesh I'll see God. And he has all these profound statements in his challenge and all that. But listen to me, just because he was a righteous man and a good man did not mean he didn't have anything to learn. He had some things to learn. And Job was not always perfect as we portray him. Look at Job chapter three, verse one. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Oh, a star wasn't even born. That's what suffering can do to you. Listen to Job three twenty-five. What I feared has come upon me. Job was gripped with fear. Listen to Job six and nine. That God would be willing to crush me till it loose his hand and cut me off. He felt rejection, ignored. He felt crushed of God and he felt like he was an outcast. Have you ever been there? Right now, these are the things America are feeling right now. The church is feeling fear. 
the church is feeling ignored and rejected and is an outcast. They wonder where God's at. Why ain't God coming through? Some of them are saying, I just wish I could die. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Guys, it's everywhere. Listen to Job 10.1. I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out the bitterness of my soul. In other words, he felt justified in his complaining and he felt like he had just cause to be bitter. My goodness, he says, I ain't done anything to cause this. I'm justified, I'm a righteous man. God's called me righteous. I got a right to complain. This ain't the time for complaining. God has locked my heels. With God's help, you'll never hear me complain about what's going on in our culture again. I'll preach about it, I'll educate about it, but I'm not going to complain about it anymore because God in this message has given me the understanding of how to overcome the evils of this society and I'm fixing to bring it to a close. How many is ready for victory? How many believes in victory? Let me cut through all the chase. I got several more pages of notes, but Lord have mercy. I've been preaching a long time. There was a guy by the name of Elihu. How would you like to be called that? Your mom go out on the front porch. Elihu. Elihu. What kind of name is that? Lord have mercy. It's better than Mephibosheth. (laughs) Elihu comes up to Job and he looks at Job and he's angry at him, according to our text. Got wrath toward him. And he looks at him and says, Job, you're a righteous man. Proclaims him to be righteous. But there's something inside of you that's hidden. There's a sense of pride. I was telling my wife this. She said, oh, Job's never been prideful. Come on, I've never seen Job in that kind of a light before. I said, well, maybe Elihu's wrong. Go ahead and study the text. He turns around then and he looks at the friends, them three friends that come along to encourage Job. What kind of sin did you do, Job, to cause this thing to come upon you? Haven't you ever been there? There's another accuser of the brother. Every time someone's down, I wonder what's really going on in life. I wonder what they're diving into. Yeah, you keep it on and you're gonna fall into the same judgment someday. You're gonna fall down somebody. Ha, I wonder what kind of sin they're in. Someone walk up to the altar. Mm, I wonder what they've done wrong. Come on, somebody. Ha. And he looks at his three friends, Elihu, and rebukes them harshly with wrath. How dare you accuse Job? He's a righteous man. God's called him righteous. Later on, you even see that God contends for Job. And God says, yes, he's a righteous man. Yes, he's a godly man. In other words, this thing ain't about a heaven and hell issue here today. Some of the things that we're feeling, and we're feeling condemned because we feel them, they're natural for us to feel them because we're under the weight of persecution and hardship. There is fear that we deal with. We do feel, we do wrestle with becoming bitter or not. We do, we do wrestle with these spirits that's trying to bring us and crush us and cause us to back up from our faith. We're all feeling it. We're in the press together here tonight. There's not a one of you that's not been touched with what I've been preaching about. I've got loved ones that's went off the deep end. I've got nieces that's went crazy. Things that just, what in the world's happened to our family? 
Come on. You're faced with it. You got children walking in, flopping down. Dad, I just want you to know and give you a bad report. You got parents going to their children. Well, kids, we just want you to know after 45 years of marriage, me and your mom's gonna get divorced. But we waited until you were old enough to handle it. What kind of stupidity is that? Am I preaching okay? But Job has not got to the place where he's sinning. But yet Job is not in the place of deliverances of yet. He's a righteous man. But yet not delivered. Why? God looks at him and says, man, he's a good man. What's the element? There's a fine line. And we got to take the whole word of God and we got to rightly apply it because you can get out here and left field but not really dissecting the word and coming to the understanding that you got to rightly divide it. You can take any scripture and read it and pull it out of context. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. He'll give you the reason to knock someone's tooth out. Amen? If you want to build a doctrine around that and you don't want to understand the full context of where it's at and why it's there, you can really get yourself in a mess. You can get yourself in trouble. She goes, I said, okay, God, what are you trying to teach Kit Miller? Because I've been at the place, where are you, God? I've never fasted and prayed and hungered and sought God for the things of miracles and signs and wonders and for the healing of our people. I have never done that as much as what I'm doing it right now. This has been going on for a long, 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 long time. And I can remember over in Ninth and Cedar, well, I didn't put near the effort into what I'm putting in now. Just go up to people and bam, they'd be healed and touched and blessed and this thing's dripping. And th- I said, God, where's that at? Well, number one, I've not got home field advantage anymore. I'm on a different playing field. I've got a greater warfare to make it happen now. I don't have the cheerleaders. Woo, go, Kent, go, Kent, go, Kent. I got the demon saying, shut up, Kent, shut up, Kent, shut up, Kent. So Elihu, or Elihu, says, here's your problem, Joe. Chapter 31, the whole chapter. Job says, well, if I would have went out and stole some of my friend's oxen and if I would have done this, that, or the other, I could understand why I'm where I'm at. If I would have went, and he gives you all kinds of excuses. If I'd done this, I understand what I would be where I'm at. I understand that if I'd done this, that, or the other, if I'd committed adultery, if I'd robbed, if I'd steal. And he just gives you all these scenarios. But he said, I am a righteous man. I've done none of these. So why am I at where I'm at? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Here's his problem. Job was focused more on his righteousness and never mentioned the righteousness of God. I thought, what are you trying to tell me? It's like when me and Jenny first got married, when we were dating. It wasn't hard to do the things, the principles that kept her happy. Amen. You'd done them because there was an intimacy, there was an excitement, there was a that that love. 
that, that you just done it automatically. And then when you've done it, it earned favor. Amen? Am I right? Come on, everybody follow me? Stay married for about 10 years. Things change a little bit. And now my wife says something, and I say, yeah, and she said, you ain't hear me. Yeah, I am. Look at me when I talk to you. Yeah, you're living it too, bub. You only want to hear what you want to hear. Turn the television off and let's have talk time. Huh? Got a laughter over there from a man. He's been through that. But in them earlier stages, she never had to say that to me. Here was Job's problem. How many knows that there is conditions to sometimes blessings? If you do this, I will do that. Amen? We know that. However, we got to understand doing those conditions and obeying those conditions is not what our faith lies in. But Job's faith lied in that. I burn offerings. I've been a man of integrity. I'm a hard worker. I've serviced my family. I've done all these things, and all of a sudden, Elihu recognized it. You're putting your trust in the condition of the blessing instead of the God of the blessing. And we as a church, we fall in this while we go, oh, I gotta pray more. Oh, I gotta give more. Oh, I gotta worship more. And we'll come alive. And we're trying somehow to earn the blessing of God and God gets a little bit distasteful and God looks down and says, oh, you're righteous. You're good people. You're not sinning. But it's the way you're doing it. Am I making sense here today? It ain't out of that loving intimacy. It's out of duty and responsibility. Now, God honors duty and responsibility. Don't get me wrong. He wants you to be responsible people. But there comes a time that God wants, like my wife at times, look at me. Dennis the Menace, those of you that are young don't even know who Dennis the Menace is. In a cartoon, him and his friend Joey, you remember Joey in the cartoons? They were over at Miss Wilson's house. And they were leaving Miss Wilson's house and they had a whole handful of cookies. And Joey said, woo, I wonder what we've done for this to take place and Dennis said, Joey, it's not got nothing to do with us being nice. Miss Wilson's nice. And I want to tell you, it's got nothing to do with Kit Miller being nice. It's got to be with God's nice. Are you with me? Our trust factor has to be in God and God alone, not God in works. Not God in performance. Because if it's God in works and God in performance, I'll never match up. It's strictly by the grace of God and the grace of God only and my faith in him that he loves me and my loving devotion that I love him. I got a broken and a contrite spirit and therefore I say, God, I come to back to you. You are my first and only love. 
all of us. In order to see the miracles, we're gonna have to come back to our first love. And we're gonna have to humble ourselves. We'll have to say, I'm sorry, we got caught up in the conditions. We got caught up in our own righteousness. Amen. I feel like crying because I've been there. I've said it in my prayer life. God, I've fasted. God, I've prayed. God, I've given. I've tried to obey. I've studied more than I've ever studied. Oh, God, why didn't you, why didn't you deliver? What's going on, God? The culture was hammering me. And now, I got liberty and freedom to say, hey, I can take a breath to do all that I know to do and relax in that and not look at that as my ticket to earn something. But let me do it because I have a loving relationship with my father and I do it because I love him. I don't do it to gain his favor. And by me just doing it to love him, it comes automatically. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things just be added to you. They just happen. Would you stand with me, please? Elihu makes a generalized statement that I think I would not do the scripture injustice to add a few words to what he said. They're not in scripture. When you read it, you're not gonna find them but it was in the attitude and the framework of his mind that I can say this because that was in Elihu, I believe. And he looks at Job and says, Job, you're a righteous man, but it isn't your righteousness that's gonna move God. God, when he moves, he'll do it according to his own righteousness. And this is what he says. Job, you won't be able to work this one out. What happened after 911? The politicians got up and read a verse in the book of Isaiah and talked about how that the stones have collapsed, but we'll rebuild with new stones and the, and the sycamore has fallen and we'll repent it with cedars. And they went up and said, we will rise, we will build, we will be greater than ever before. And the politician that quoted that did not know the context of that scripture. He thought it was about the might and the rise of America and them being strong and them being powerful and them being influential. And that's exactly what Job was doing. I'm a righteous man, I'm a godly man. I'm, he's throwing out his case in chapter 31, laying it out. And that's exactly what these guys did in America. And when you read the context, it was actually a rebuke of God because Israel was trying to say, we will, build, uh, we will rebuild and we will do it in our own strength and God don't have anything to do with it. And when we try to do it within ourselves and say, Kent Miller can make this happen, I don't know how many times my wife's had to slow me down and say, whoa, 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 you're not their savior. Whoa, 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 no, you're not their God. You may be their preacher, but Kent, you can't change this. Only God can. Slow down and let's pray about it before you react. She has saved me so much grief. Amen. The phone rings and I hear something bad. Boom, I'm on the road. I'm in my car. I got my keys. I'm headed somewhere. And my wife's chasing me down the drive. Wait, we got to pray. Because I want, I'm like Job. I want to be right. I want to help people. I can't make one hair gray or one, one black. I can't change the course of what's going on in America but I can love God and give him my heart and let him through me 
make a difference. And this is the last statement I'm going to make. We'll have an altar call. Ellie, who said, if this does not be done supernaturally, it won't be done. It's got to be God and God alone that's going to change this. And where America's at right now, it can only be God that changes it. You can't, I can't, let's quit trying. Let's love God, and out of the overflow of our love, let's do all that we know to do. Let's honor him, let's serve him, let's praise him, let's preach, let's teach, let's not compromise, let's not get caught up in the culture, let's be a counterculture. But ultimately, trust in the might of his strength and the power of who he is to bring the change. Amen. I'd just like for everyone that would, that can, we got a few moments, just to say, you know what? I want to return back to my first love. I just want, I just want that intimacy once again. I want to feel that, that intimate level of God to where I'm not doing things out of duty, but I'm doing it because of love. I'm not doing it out of a challenge. I'm doing it out of divine privilege. I'm not doing it because it's hard. I'm doing it because it's become a very easy thing for my nature to do it. I do it because I want to have time with God. Would you just come up for just a few moments and let's pray together as a body? You don't have to kneel. You can stand. Let's, as a palace of praise, recommit ourselves to our first love. Hallelujah. 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 Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, let everybody up here learn to just submit to you and your divine kingship and rulership. Lord, you're a sovereign God. I thank you that when you look down, you find a lot of Job's, that you pronounce them righteous. Through the blood of the lamb, they become righteous. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the hearts. But Lord, like others, we too still have things to learn and we drift and we put our confidence in our works, in our, in our procedures, in the mechanics that we know how to push the buttons. We think we know how to work it out. We think we'll endure it. We've endured more storms before. This is a storm we can't endure. It's bigger than we are. Father, we just submit to you today. We just say forgive us of our insensitivity, our lack of yieldedness, our lack, God, of that knowing you in an in a, in a intimate way, I pray, God, right now, you change us. Oh, love us, Lord. Forgive us. We can't overcome without you, God. It is your righteousness that makes the statement, and it's your righteousness that changes things, God. Oh, Lord, move on our behalf. Save our nation. Let the Shekinah glory come down and let old time conviction one more time hit the church to where there's earth-shattering change. Only you can bring about the change. We are not accepted in the culture, but when your signs and wonders and your miracles and your glory shows up, oh God, the nation can be one. You restored Job double of everything that he lost. Now, God, restore back to the church and the kingdom and the nation of everything the enemy has stolen and do it in multiple ways. God, we believe you can. We believe you will. 
but it won't be done by our righteousness. We're doing all we know to do and we stand and we just love you and you do the rest. And we will not charge you foolish and we'll trust and we'll have an intimate of love. We may not always understand everything, but we'll trust in Jesus' name.